Good morning, community of faith. So glad that you're here. I was reading this week about eight American sailors. They were rowing white-knuckled for their lives, basically. They were rowing as if their life depended on it because it did. And as they were rowing, you would hear the whistle of cannonballs coming, and they kept falling short, but they, would, they were so close they were splashing these sailors. They're in a little bitty boat out in front of a great big boat. It's the War of 1812, just has been declared. We're fighting the British again, and the USS Constitution has, uh, is supposed to join up with this other fleet of ships, and they think they see them off in the distance. Now, the USS Constitution is one of only six ships in the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy had a total of six ships at, in the War of 1812, where the British had, you know, many, many ships. And, and so, they're almost caught up with these five ships, and all of a sudden, they realize they're not American ships. They're British ships. And they turn around to run, and the ships see them at the same time, closing in on them. Suddenly, the wind dies completely. And, you know, these are sailing ships. And so they're all just stuck there. But Isaac Hull, the captain of the USS Constitution, has an idea. That's why these sailors are out there. They're just firing cannonballs back and forth and back and forth. What's going to happen? I mean, what ends up happening to the USS Constitution? Well, you're going to find out at the end of the sermon. It's the way I'm going to keep you a little bit in, in suspense. But they're in the fight of their lives. Maybe that's where you find yourself, in the fight of your life right now. I mean, has this been for you lately? Or maybe you've just come through, or maybe you're just going into, or maybe you're right in the middle of like a crisis almost of belief. I'm not talking about a piddling little, uh, you know, annoyance kind of thing. I'm talking about a huge crisis, the kind of crisis that makes you question God himself your relationship to God, his relationship to the universe. You know, 2020 was exactly that for many, many of you. I know that. I mean, Laura and I had a, a really difficult 2020. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the kind of 2020 that I expected as we were getting ready to move into 2020 and 2019, I was gonna preach on 2020 vision, you know? We're going to have 2020 vision. I'm glad I didn't do that one. In March, my, my father passed away. I'm kind of wondering if he didn't, hadn't, didn't have COVID before that because he died of, of pneumonia, you know? And um, so that was really difficult as that was the first of my parents that, that I lost, this great man of God. And then time kept moving along and all kinds of things started happening. I mean, there were just, it just seemed like one thing after another, after another, after another, till the fact, I finally told Laura, I said, don't say, don't ever say again, what else could happen, right? Don't say that, whatever you do. I mean, church closed down where we were not able to meet together personally and, and you know, no hugs and no coffee and no, uh, just the, the feeling that we have together as community of faith. And then, I was out in San Francisco visiting my son and, uh, you know, I was going to do, I was, it was a, a, a remote service. I was getting ready to do it. I was all excited about it. I was getting to, up ready to do my, my message and he lives kind of outside of San Francisco. He has chickens of all things and I stepped in some chicken poop 
which is like really slick if you don't know that. I didn't know that. And I got to some stairs and it was like I was on roller skates and I just slid off the stairs, caught myself about halfway down and thought, thank God. And then my whole knee gave way. I heard some popping and I started making these crazy noises. My son said I sounded like a a castrated owl, Um, whatever that sounds like. I don't really want to know, but that was his opinion. You know, he was around the corner. He runs around, Laura runs around. I'm laying on the ground. My knee is way up here, my kneecap. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I had torn my patellar tendon, had to be taken to the hospital by ambulance. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, God, you know, 2020, right? It's 2020. And then I had my first surgery. It failed. My kneecap slid all the way back up. So I'm going like, okay, well, it's 2020, you know. I mean, we're in the middle of all this this crisis and and, and feeling all of this. And then I, to top it off, December 27th, Laura and I just wanted to kind of put like a cherry on top of 2020. So we both got COVID. It was amazing. And carried COVID into 2021, you know. Then 2021, everything is, uh, everything is supposed to be changed, right? So like, hey, I got the COVID vaccine. I got sicker than when I was, had COVID on the COVID vaccine. But, uh, you know, that's just a kind of a side thing. I just found out that this knee surgery has failed. Can you believe that? Right when I'm walking good, you're all telling me how good I'm walking, you know? And I found out that it's failed. The kneecap has slid back up again. And so my doctor, who's cutting edge, does the rockets and the the, uh, Texans, uh, I asked him, I said, well, you've been doing this for, you know, 30 years maybe. And I just wondered, I mean, so I guess I'm not alone. How many of these third surgeries have you had to do? And he goes, well, you're the first. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the boy who failed. You know, it's like, what? it's, It's like, I mean, I can't. I can't even describe what I was feeling. And he's saying that I'm going to maybe have to have that whole big cage thing, you know, where the functions from the outside in and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I probably am going to end up having to take a little bit of medical leave just to get all that put together. Okay, where's God? What's going on? Now, what's been amazing in the midst of all of this is how sweet and amazing God has been. Someone said to me the other day, you're still saying God is good. Why are you saying that? And I'll tell you why I'm saying it. You wanna know why I'm saying it? Because God is good. He's good. In fact, I want you to say it with me, okay? You might not feel it at all this morning, but I'm gonna say God is good and you say all the time and then I'm gonna say all the time and you say God is good. You got that? God is good. All the time, do you believe that? Do you believe it? You see, if you're going through a trial like that and you're walking through that, 1 Peter 1, 7 says these trials, they will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. The truth is that trials can't destroy our faith. Trials don't destroy your faith. They te- trials test your faith to see if it's genuine. Did you know that? 
Someone was talking about uh, someone the other day, and they said, oh, the, the trials of 2020, and, and described them, and they were way worse than mine. Some of you out there, you've had way worse than I've had, you know? Some of you got sick. We didn't even get to come visit you in the hospital. They wouldn't even let us in, you know? But they said his, his faith, it, those trials, they just destroyed his faith. And I had to tell them, trials can't destroy faith. Trials only test faith. Have you heard about the water test? The water test is what jewelers uh, of old, uh, you know, back in the day before they had all the equipment they have now, used to test diamonds that way. You see, there's something peculiar about a diamond. A diamond, um, as it shines and it does all this, you, you take a, a fake stone like a cubic zirconia or something, and you put them side by side. And sometimes to our, especially untrained eye, our naked eye, they, some, of those, some of those fake stones can have almost the same brilliance. They look about the same. But did you know if you put them both under water, the real diamond continues to shine like crazy and the fake stone pretty much goes flat. Did you know that? So ladies, you know, you're at the table and he gives you that diamond. You know what to do now, get a glass of water, check him out, right? Let's see what's going on. But that's the diamond test, the water test. It applies, I think. You see, a lot of us, we're pretty sparkly. Our faith, oh, we look so good and sparkly and all this. And we get put under the waters of deep sorrow, deep trial, not understanding. You know, I mean, it just feels like, didn't we have a deal with God that he was gonna be good to us and do all these, and, and this isn't working out like that. And, and our faith, it just disappears. What does that say? It wasn't ever there. You see, the thing for me is I started realizing again, the mercy of God even as he doesn't, he doesn't cause the trials, we're gonna find that out, but as he allows them to come into our lives, he's testing us, the Bible says. He's testing us. Now, that seems weird because don't you think the all-knowing God already knows if you have faith in him or not, that's true? That you have true faith? I mean, he can see your heart, he knows. So this test is not for him. You know who the test is for? You. Jonathan Edwards, in a book that he wrote in the 1700s, he was a, a missionary. He died in his 30s trying to reach the Indians of the North American continent. But he wrote in, in, in one of his little books, he said, wouldn't it be a shame to live your whole life thinking that you had true faith, but your faith was really only like a gratitude or a, a feeling that's a good feeling about the blessings of God that he had put on you. And it wasn't a true faith in him. He said, trials take all that out, those deep trials of life. And you are able, when you get down to the very bottom of everything, you see if that faith is genuine or not. Laura and I felt that, you know, even when I'm told third surgery, and I'm not gonna say that I went, I went, woohoo, third surgery. I'm the only one that got to do that. I love, I'm going to get a cool cage, you know, that's going to be, I'm going to have to take some time and, you know, no, I didn't feel any of that. I was, I mean, the doctor looked like he was going to cry. So I knew I was in bad shape. Okay. But I left there and I said, God, I know you're good. 
I still know, I still know that. I still understand that. God is good and he wants us to know that. Maybe your problem today is not so much that trial of crisis of belief, but it's this temptation. I just keep falling to the same temptation, the same temptation, the same temptation. What is wrong? Did you know that the root answer on how to overcome that temptation and the root answer to walk through a crisis of belief is the same answer. We're gonna see it in the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus, the half-brother. He walked the earth when Jesus was there. He wrote a little book. It's in the back of our Bible, the book of James. And in his book, his whole book is about the testing of faith because he's really concerned. He wants you to know if your faith is genuine. He starts out his book by saying, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, which doesn't make any sense at all until you read later and figure out why he's saying this, okay? He says, get excited, like get fired up with joy that you're going into a big trial. And he says various trials, which various is so interesting. It means multicolored trials or all different kinds. Some of you are in a, a, a trial right now, a relationship trial. Don't look at the person next to you and say, you are my trial, right? You know, but you're, you're feeling it. You know it. You're right in the middle of it. Some of you, it's a health crisis. Some of you, it, it's financial or, or a job thing. There's so many multicolored, different facets of trial. And all of us, we're going to be going through some of those in one way or another. So in chapter one, verse 12, this is where I want us to pick up. James says this, blessed is the one, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is pretty cool, the crown of life. Do you know there's gonna be crowns in heaven? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the, the, they were gathered around the throne and they took off their crowns and they laid them at the feet of Jesus and said, you're the only one who is worthy. There's one crown that's called the crown of life. Now that's gonna be, everybody in heaven's gonna have the crown of life because it also stands for eternal life. That crown of life is given to who? Those who love him. Now, what's interesting in James though, what you begin to see is that there's this kind of like juxtaposition between those who love him and those who don't love him, those who love him will go through the trials and still love him. Those who, who their faith isn't genuine, they don't really love him. And that's what the trial points out. It's so important that we check our hearts in the midst of trial. If you know someone that said, I'm done with this, I'm done. I mean, Jesus talked about that. Do you remember? He said in the book of Luke chapter eight, he was teaching the people and he always taught in these stories. And one was about this guy who threw seed everywhere. And you remember he said some of the, the seed, which is the word of God, it landed on rocky soil. And it was this soil that had like about an inch of soil and then this little bedrock like under it. And it said, it received the seed with joy and it sprung up, but in the, get this, the time of testing, 
it withered and died as the sun scorched it because it had no root. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. And he was talking, he says, some people that, I mean, like you can even sing these songs and get all excited. God's so good. He's so good. He's so good. And then the time of testing comes and you're like, I'm done. God's not good. God doesn't care. God's a million miles away. God's not interested. Now, if you are a true believer, you might feel that. You might even think it's true for a moment, but you're going to come out of that because God's Holy Spirit lives in you and you're going to persevere under the trials. But if you don't and you, you don't get back to that, you need to know something. You've been in church a long time, but you're not a believer yet. You see, sitting in church doesn't make you a believer any more than sitting in your garage is going to make you a car. It doesn't do that. There's some things you have to, you step into this belief about God and understanding. We've talked some about that last week, but the reward, that crown of life goes to those who love him. It's so good. I mean, I I just think that God's got such good things. The, The trials of life, they'll show us if we truly are believers, but they also do one other thing. If you are a believer, they make you into all that God is dreaming of you being. Now, God, he, we're going to find out he doesn't, he doesn't cause the trials. He has, he has to allow them. You see, nothing, if you're a believer, he's got you in his hands and nothing can come into your life unless it comes through his fingers of love. That doesn't mean it's all good all the time, but it does mean there's always a purpose all the time. You understand that, right? It's a big difference there, but it makes us strong. We were made to rule and reign with God forever. We're not gonna go to heaven and sit on a cloud and play a harp for a billion years. That's not with little angel budding wings in the back going, you know, we are rulers, warriors. We're gonna rule and reign with him. And we're in boot camp right now. This is boot camp. And he's teaching us how to do it. Now, that kind of turns on its head. I've told many of you, turns on its head when you look at someone and go, their life is so easy. They must have the blessing of God on them. I would say maybe not. Maybe because your life is hard and difficult and you're going through some really tough things, you've got the blessing of God on you because he's making you into a green beret, a Navy SEAL, Army Ranger. I don't know what, you know, it's like, it's like he's doing some of these things in your life. It's interesting because Jeremiah 48, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah in his book, it's probably the most unread part of the whole Bible, okay? Because it has all these things about places we don't know and curses that God has put on them, you know? And he starts talking about the Moabites. He's speaking for God. God has told him to say this. And he begins to talk about the Moabites that live close by. The Moabites are a a people that are pagan, far from God. Actually, they descended from the daughter of Lot and the son of Lot who got together. So it didn't start out great, right? So Moab was the son of Lot and they called them the Moabites. And it, it says something about them. It says that, you know, that they weren't living right. They weren't doing right. They, they were far from God. And in verse 11 of chapter 48, Jeremiah speaking for God says, here's the reason why. You want to know why Moab is so morally weak? 
Moab has been at rest from her youth. She's had an easy life. Like wine left on its dregs, not poured from one jar to another, she has not gone into exile, so she tastes as she did. Her aroma is unchanged. What is that? Probably, you know, that's one of the verses you think, yeah, I'm claiming that one as a promise of God, right? You don't even know what that means. I, I didn't know what it means. I'm reading it. What is this? Well, back in that day, that's how they, they, they worked with wine. See, what they would do with wine is they would make the wine and then they would put it in a big jar. And as it sat in that jar for a long time, you've heard of the dregs, the dregs, the bitterness would go to the bottom. So there was the sweet wine and there was the bitter part. And then they would take that jar and they would pour it into another jar, but try not to get the dregs. They would leave the dregs in that jar. And then they would leave the wine in the next jar until even more dregs. Third jar, depending on the wine, eventually in the last jar, what did you have? Sweet, pure wine. And all of the bitterness and all of that stuff had been sifted out. But why? if you're the wine, I mean, just think of it from the wine's point of view, okay? You're in your first jar and you're going like, ooh, I love this little jar. It's kind of my comfort zone jar, right? And then all of a sudden, your world begins to shake and you're dumped upside down. What is happening? Is this a good thing? It doesn't seem like a good thing. It seems like an awful thing, right? But what's happening is you're leaving the dregs behind. You're becoming more. I mean, I don't want God to give me an easy life if, that, if, if I'm gonna be like an old bitter man when I, when I get old. I don't want that. I want what God has for me. And what he's saying is Moab was never poured out from trial to trial to trial to trial like Israel has been. And Moab is far from me. They don't even see the need for me. These trials change us. Maybe you're going, what about that temptation you were talking about, Mark? What, what is that? He goes on. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he ever tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. James is saying something important here. He says, as long as you keep blaming the world around you or God, ultimately, because, you know, did you know a lot of times when you're angry as a believer, you're really angry at God? Have you figured that out yet? Because, like, he's supposed to be in control, right? And he allowed me to marry this woman, and when I married her, you know, I knew it's for better or for worse, but she's a lot worse than I thought she was, you know? And, and, and God, you, it's almost like I could, I've been tricked. I was praying. I was believing. I'm not talking about Laura, because she's the one that's changed my life, okay? But we do that kind of thing, don't we? And, and, and he's saying, hey, you got to understand, you've got to take responsibility for yourself. Every 12-step program understands that's the first step. Proverbs 19.3, the wisest man who ever lived said, the foolishness of man subverts his way, but his heart rages against the Lord. You ever done that? God, how did, why did you put me in a corner like this? And you start looking back and it was really your own stuff that got you there, right? I mean, almost every time it's like your own choices, your own things, and you get stuck in this place and it's just a crisis and you're going like, God, what are you doing? He says, don't blame God. God doesn't tempt you. He doesn't <clears throat> do that. You know how you 
catch a, a rat? How many of you are great rat catchers? Nobody wants to admit it, right? Well, you can use decon or some one of those poisons. What, what that is, you know what decon is? It, it, it's, it used to be used all the time, but it was like 99% scrumptious rat food, okay? And 1% brodifacum. You know what brodifacum is? It, it's something that thins your blood, kind of like warfarin or so that, but it thins it so fast that you stroke out. So you, you're giving those poor rats a stroke. When you do that, you know, but what, what's happening is it, it's slow acting. So, you know, the rats, they never, they're smart, but they never put it together. I mean, you know, they go, oh, it's so sad that little ratatouille died, you know, all the rats' funerals, you know. It's just, at least he had a great meal before he went. I don't know what happened. He just kind of like plopped over like in the middle of the night. Brody Fakum, that's what did it. That's what James is saying about sin. It's, it's like it looks so good. It entices us. The word entice is such an interesting word because it's a fishing word, guys. Laura and I like to go fly fishing now. Now, the reason why I like to go fly fishing where I do is because I have a guide that makes his own flies and he looks under the rocks and see what's hatching. And we go to these beautiful rivers in Colorado and he sticks the, he does everything except like throw the thing out there. And then he's looking at me going like, wishing he could throw it out there because I didn't get it there, you know? So what happens is this thing, he just kind of made a knot of thread almost, right? It looks amazingly like a bug. And you just throw it out and it's just a little knot of thread and stuff that he put on there and, 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 and it hits the water and it starts to float down the water or sink down under the water a little bit. And, and those rainbow trout, they're watching. And if you present it good enough, which happens to me about one out of every 500 times, right? If it looks real and you make it look like a real bug, that thing goes for it. It's enticed by that. Now, when the, the, the fish hits that, he, it, it's, the fish isn't satisfied with with, in fact, the fish is caught. The fish is reeled in. It's catch and release in Colorado, or otherwise the fish would be cooked and eaten, right? Um, and so that's what sin does. It entices us. But what's so interesting, so it looks good. It looks good on the outside, and we jump for it. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's always death in it. I talked to a woman one time had been having a long-term affair. And she said, but there's so much life in this. I said, no, you're gonna find there's death in this. Sin always somewhere. There's the Brody Fakum coming in somewhere, okay? It's gonna come in there somewhere. It always does. But then listen to what James says. Here's how we get past all of this. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. What does he not want us to be deceived about? He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Don't be deceived. You see, it started with Eve in the garden. You remember what? The serpent, the devil said to her, did God say not to eat of this? And if you did, you would die. No, he's holding out on you. 
He knows you would see good and evil and you would be just like him. There was a, just a tiny bit of truth in there. But there was also Brody Fakum. There was also the death, right? So they were deceived. God is not good. God is holding out. Do you see how these things come together in temptation? Whenever you bite that and you bite into it, what you're saying is God's been holding out on me. There's something better than what God can give. God says, don't go there. Don't go there. There's a hook in it. Don't do that. There's death in it. It's gonna grow up and there's gonna be a child born. And it's gonna be a killer child, death. It's gonna be this awful process that I've seen it over and over a million times, billion times. God is saying, don't do that. But we, we say, well, God, no, you're holding out on me. God, I, this is, this is I, I mean, I don't get to look at this. I don't get to, wow, that's not right. And God is saying, but I'm a good God. I love you. I care about you. Good things come from me. I've got so much to pour out for, on you. David, what an example in David's life. When he sinned with Bathsheba, he looks at the girl, the most beautiful girl he's ever seen. She's taking a bath on her rooftop, but his roof is higher. He's the king. And he can look down and see it. She thinks it's private, but it's not. And he lusts after her. And then he calls her in and he commits adultery with her. Then he kills her husband. That's pretty bad for a man of God, a man after God's own heart. Nathan, the prophet comes. And you know what he says? It's so interesting. He says, David, I'm gonna speak a word from God for you right now. God told me, he said, I gave you Judah. I gave you Israel. I gave you the kingdom. I re rescued you from the hand of Saul. I've given you a beautiful wife. I've given you so many things. And yet you look over here and say, but you've, you're holding out on me. He said, why did you go there? I would have given you so much more than that. Wow. This is right back to this. Don't be deceived. David, don't be deceived. God is good. He's not holding out on you. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes from the Father of lights. There's no shifting shadow in him. It comes from above. You see, he's transcendent. Everything that's good comes from above. God comes from above. He's above us. So he has to stoop down and humble himself and go, little boy, look at all this I have for you, little girl. If we could just see our great God doing that, even in the midst of a big trial, we would understand something. His heart is good for us. And it says that he's light. There's no shifting shadow. What is it saying? He doesn't change. Well, you know, God's, <clears throat> he seemed like he was good to me yesterday and he seemed like he was good to me last year and he seemed like he was good to me the year before, but this year he don't like me anymore. Is that true? No, he's still good. I was blessed and financially all this happened in 2019 and then 2020 came. I'm just using this as an example. It didn't happen to me, okay? It all got taken away. God's not good anymore. No, that's not true. Don't be deceived. Our God is good and nothing that's happened to you in 2020 can happen to you without it coming through his hands of love to you. You understand that? So he's, he didn't cause the evil. He didn't cause the hurt. 
But if he allowed it into your life, you can count on it, child of God. There's a purpose. Don't waste your sorrows. There's a purpose in it. He knows what he's doing. He knows. See, there's a, that life cycle of sin is trial, temptation lead to doubting God in his goodness, which entices evil desire, which conceives and gives birth to sin. And when that is mature, it results in death. But the life cycle of faith is trial and temptation can't shake the belief that God is good. Not for any length of time anyway, which leads to his promises, the promises of a good God, which leads to obedience in the moment, which leads to perseverance over time, which results in the crown of life. Oh my gosh. I want every one of you to have the crown of life. George Whitfield, he lived a couple hundred years ago, great man of God. He said, all trials are for two ends, that we may be better acquainted with the Lord Jesus and better acquainted with our own hearts. I read about a missionary named Alan Gardner. In 1851, he was on Picton Island off the coast of southern tip of South America, an island out there. And at age 57, they found him. He had died of disease and starvation, this missionary. And he had been there, hunger, thirst, loneliness, all of these things. You know what the final entry they found in his diary with his pencil still in his hand? I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Wow. Wow. It just made me stop. The USS Constitution, they're about to be caught. There's nothing they can do. The wind has died. They're in the doldrums. And it's also really shallow. They're kind of, they're a bigger ship than the British ships, but they're so outgunned with all five of those ships around them. And they're coming up fast. Isaac Hull says, we're going to kedge. Do you know what kedging is? He sent out these little rowboats. That's what these guys that I was telling you about, they went out ahead of the ship with this anchor, a kedging anchor, a small anchor, and they would go up to like a half a mile or a, sometimes even a mile, get as much anchor and rope as they could. And they would drop that anchor. And then people on the boat that would begin to pull and pull. And the, as the anchor grabbed and held, they would pull the boat out of the beached situation it was in or out of the doldrums they were in. I think this is huge because this is exactly, if you're in the middle of a crisis of belief, you're undergoing some temptation and you just keep falling on your face, maybe either one of those things, the promises of God, they're, they're, they're like the chain. Your faith is that anchor, that kedging anchor. And where are you gonna drop that anchor? You're gonna drop it right into God himself, the character of God, who God is. Listen to what Psalm 119.89 says. Standing firm in the heavens and fastened to eternity is the word of God. Standing 
strong and fastened is the word of God. What's it fastened to? It's fastened to God. It's his word. It's his word. And you go to his promises. One of my wife's favorite verses, she, all through cancer, she spoke this out every single day. Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear. But even if that happens, even then my faithful love for you will remain, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Maybe you need to memorize that one this week. Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may move, the hills disappear. Jesus talked about the mountains being moved into the sea. But God's faithfulness, his love for you is as strong as it's ever been. I don't know what you're going through right now. It might be the most difficult thing. You might be having a huge crisis of belief right now. Can I tell you, whether you're sitting at home on your couch or you're right here in this room, God sees you. That's why I'm speaking this right now. He sees you. I've asked Danny and David just to come and simply sing what's become one of my favorite songs, this Isaiah 54, 10. They're gonna sing it for you. As Danny sings over you, I want you just to right now just say, yes, God, I believe, I choose to believe. Maybe you look and you say, you know what? I lost my faith a long time ago. You didn't lose your faith. There wasn't faith. Step into faith today. You say, I do trust you. I do trust you. I do wanna begin this journey. You'll be baptized on Easter. You can do that. I step in. I want to walk with you. Listen as she sings. If you wanna sing out with her, if you wanna stand up or sit up, you do whatever you need to do, but just block out everyone else around you, okay? Block them out right now. This is your time, God time. Feel his goodness. Know he's good. Even if you don't feel it, claim it, believe it, stand on it. Let's sing.